0: Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. Appreciate it. I mean, what goes through your mind when you hear those kinds of responses to the question, who is Jesus? I mean, there are people in our world today who kind of feel that way. You know, he's kind of, nobody goes comes down from God he's kind of linked in you know I mean it's 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 I I I feel very sorry and sometimes cry over some of these responses because there are still people in the world who don't have a clue who Jesus is so that's what we are going to talk about today actually who Jesus is and using the text that the Bible describes about the first Palm Sunday. Okay? So today's Palm Sunday, so we are going to go back to the text that was written, that, the story that was written about the first Palm Sunday. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And if you are using the blue Bible of the church, you will find that on page 1049. 1,049. And we'll be looking at the first 16 verses this morning. So here it is. Beginning in verse 1. I'll read through uh, through verse 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they meaning Jesus and his disciples And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is really Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt. The fall of a beast of burden. That comes from Zechariah chapter 9:9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, put them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, every time I read this story, I I said to myself, This is one of those days that the people gathered in Jerusalem almost got who Jesus was not quite but almost got who Jesus was you see it is clear from these verses that Jesus had carefully planned this event to present himself as Israel's promised messiah and the emphasis here is that carefully planned. He has thought through this. He had planned everything to present himself as Israel's promised Messiah. For example, first he locates himself on the Mount of Olives. This mountain is very significant to the Jewish people because a prophecy in the Old Testament present Mount of Olives as the place where Messiah will show himself. This prophecy is found in Zechariah chapter 14 verses 4 and 5. And here it is up on the big screen. And you'll see this was widely accepted by the Jewish people. That Messiah will show himself on Mount, Olives and, Mount of Olives. And from there he will descend and come to Jerusalem, their capital city. And so here it is. On that day, that is when the Messiah shows up. His feet, Messiah's feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And then all of these things will happen. This is kind of an earthquake, you will see it. And the Mount of Olives shall split into two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount. Shall move northward and the other half shall move southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountain shall reach Azal. And you shall flee as he fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. When all of these things happen. Some kind of a Mount of Olives. Earthquake like thing. And then the Lord my God will come. And all the holy ones with him widely accepted prophecy about the Messiah. The teachers of the law had spoken about it. The rabbis have taught people about it. And went to, went, to, went to church, went to the temple in Jerusalem. They heard about it. And were, this was in people's mind. It's like us you know, today that we, we always teach and preach about you know, Jesus will come again. We don't know the time or the hour. But, every, but and therefore we need to be prepared. For him to come anytime. It was the same idea here. Second. Jesus chooses to descend from the Mount of Olives. And enter the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And this fulfills another prophecy. Another messianic prophecy in Zechariah. Which the gospel writer Matthew himself uses. In verse 5. And this comes from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, say to Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. These are two things that Jesus had very carefully planned. You see, up until that that time, Jesus had been saying to people, Don't say Who healed you? He had tried everything to keep his identity a a secret. But the time had come for him to reveal who he really is. And therefore he had carefully planned and choreographed this event to present himself as the Israel's promised long-awaited Messiah. Messiah. For whose coming that they have been praying for a long, long time. Obviously the people recognize this. And it also turned out this was the time of Passover. Which is a Jewish celebration of what God did in Egypt as he brought them out of Egypt from slavery. So what happens is, you know, this was Roman Empire. Romans were the, the, were ruling the uh, Jewish people at the time. And it was a fairly large empire. And the Jewish people were scattered everywhere in that Roman Empire around the Mediterranean Sea. So usually what happens is once a year, they, most of them, as many of them as possible, they would come to Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to remember what God did in Egypt and celebrate Passover. In fact, one estimate puts it at 2.7 million people. I don't know if that was accurate or not, but there were hundreds and thousands of people gathered on this day in Jerusalem, their capital city, their holy city, their center of their religious activity. And so that's another one that Jesus... Carefully plans that he wanted to reveal his identity to as many people as possible. So, a crowd recognize this. Here's a God, Messiah coming from the from Mount of Olives, and he's coming on a donkey, on a colt. And hundreds of thousands of people decide to bring Jesus into the city with an honor given only to a king. If you again study the Old Testament, these kinds of things, these kinds of victory processions were given only to kings. It was given to Solomon. It was given to another king by the name Jehu in the Old Testament. So people shout, people carpet Jesus' path with their clothes. They cut palm branches and spread them on the path. And they shout, Hosanna to the king of David, or son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They have been preparing this for a long, long time. You know the word Hosanna means save now. The title Son of David was reserved for the Messiah, whom the Jewish people believed would come from the line of King David. And in fact, Jesus was exactly that. He came in the line of King David. He comes in the name of the Lord means that he is not an ordinary pilgrim who is approaching the temple during a festival. He was not an ordinary guy. Rather, he is the promised Messiah, descendant of King David, whom would Who they expected to liberate them from the Roman occupation. So in essence the crowd was saying Messiah save us now. Don't delay it. This is the time. This is the day. And they were taking him into their capital city. With the victory like procession. And it's interesting, in verse 10, Matthew says, the whole city was stirred up. You see, the Greek Greek word translated, stirred up, is actually used to describe earthquakes. Remember the prophecy of Isaiah, there will be an earthquake. And then the Messiah will come. And that's what Matthew says, there was an earthquake, can you imagine hundreds of thousands of people, maybe million people shouting Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the man who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, it was an earthquake like atmosphere. So what is happening here is that Jesus carefully plans this day. Deciding that the time had come for him to reveal his identity to the people of Israel. And shows them that he is indeed the promised Messiah. About whom they have been praying for a long, long time time so next time when someone catches you on the roadside and asks you this question who is Jesus tell them he is Israel's promised Messiah but then there's a surprising turn of events, a surprising twist to the story. You know, when, when you're studying stories, you look for the surprising twist, the surprising element in the story. Because usually what happens is the storytellers, simply tell the story and leave it there without giving any explanation as to, as to the meaning of the story so what the, the read, what the readers as we readers what we try to do is to look for the twist in the story the turning of events and usually that's where the main idea of the story lies so here's a surprising twist in the twist in the story or the turn of events that remember again this is a passover festival in jerusalem And when Jewish people remember and celebrate what God did through Moses. What did God do through Moses? In other words, Moses came and went to the seat of the government. To the palace of Pharaoh and confronted him directly and said, let my people go. So here it is. Messiah Jesus is coming, descending from the Mount of Olives, coming on the donkey as it was prophesied by prophet Zechariah. There was an earthquake-like atmosphere. Everything seemed to have lined up to indicate to the people that the Messiah is here in Jesus Christ. What do you think was their expectation? They expected Jesus to go to the seat of the Roman government and confront the governor. Or go to the military post or so to their barracks and essentially drive out the army. That's why they brought him with the victor-like parade into the city of Jerusalem. But instead, Jesus goes into the temple. That's the surprise. And that's where the main idea of the story lies. And what is it? By going to the temple, Jesus rejects people's nationalistic aspirations. And instead presents himself as, a, as the Messiah who had come to deal with sin and restore people back to God that's the main idea of the story that Jesus, true, Jesus presents himself as the promised Messiah of the Jewish people but he has come to deal with sin and restore people back to God and not to fulfill their nationalistic aspirations now please look with me to verses 12 through 16. So with that in mind, yes, he is the Israel's promised Messiah, no doubt about it. Jesus had carefully planned this event, and he planned it in such a way that people would not miss the message. That's very clear. But he's a different kind of messiah than people had anticipated. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought or bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. You see, when Jesus enters the temple, the first thing that he does is to confront sin. He overturns the tables and drives out the merchants and money changers from the temple. No doubt these merchants and money changers provided useful, even necessary services to the people who came to worship at the temple. For example, the merchants sold animals and birds that people needed to offer as sacrifices at the temple. Right? As I have already said, the you know, Roman Empire was huge and the Jewish people were scattered everywhere. And some of them came from faraway places. They walked and they came by the sea and all of those different ways. There were no airplanes or so there were no you know, big ships or anything like that. So it was impractical for the people who came from faraway places to bring these sacrificial animals along with them. So the convenience was they came to the temple and there were sacrifice, sacrificial animals were sold and they paid a price, bought it and then offered those as sacrifices at the temple. So these merchants did provide a useful, perhaps even necessary service to the people. The money changers, by the way, converted whatever currencies that people brought. Again, they were scattered Even though it was Roman Empire and and beyond, the currencies were different. So people brought in different currencies and somebody had to convert that to the currency that was accepted by the temple when they offered their offerings. And so money changes also provided useful, necessary services to the people who came to the temple. In fact, by the way, it's a funny story. Uh, There was a time that uh, you know, We have lots of friends and relatives in, in Toronto. And when they came to visit with us and they came to church and they ended up putting Canadian dollars in the offering. And um, our accountant, you know, it, it obviously to it convert Canadian dollars into American dollars costs a lot of money here in the banks. Believe it or not, it costs a lot of money. And so Deb Entner you know, walked into my office and gave that money to me and said, Pastor David, to convert this money... It's just a hassle and a lot of commission. By the time I convert it, most of it is gone. So here it is, take it. So I was a little bit richer that day because of the Canadian dollars. That was the same idea. People brought various currencies and therefore somebody had to convert it. But here are the problems. First, their practices were corrupt and dishonest. They exploited the people by charging exorbitant amount of money for their services and made huge profits for themselves. They had put profit above worship. Now, imagine a scene. This this requires a little bit of imagination, but it's not too far-fetched. That merchants and money changers have their booths. If you had ever been to a marketplace, especially in foreign countries, you know, the merchants are walking around and actually shouting and calling you to come to their booth so that they could sell you this, right? Because the more goods that they sell, the more profit that they make. And it's very obvious. And the same thing is true here at the temple. You know, there are the merchants selling sacrificial animals. There are the money changers charging exorbitant amount of money to, change, you know, to convert the currency and all of that. They're, they're shouting, come on in here, you know, uh, to, two chickens for $10 or, you know, two pigeons for 5 whatever. They were shouting. And then there are people bargaining for prices. Oh, I cannot give you $10 for that. How about $8? I mean, you know, what what has happened to the temple in Jerusalem was it it looked like more of of a market, a farmer's market or whatever market that we can think of rather than a place of worship that you wouldn't recognize the temple as a place of worship because it looked like a market than a temple. Moreover, the noise, the commotion, Made it difficult to worship Imagine here at Midland Free That we are having a ministry fair And we have all of these display tables in the lobby And the different ministries Are you know, displaying their uh, different things That they do And here's a worship service that's happening by the second worship service People who come to our second worship service Are outside and talking to people And you know people are inviting Come on in here I'll show you what this ministry looks like I'll show you what children's ministry looks like I'll show you what small churches look like I'll show you what go local You know and, and shouting And you know, this and that. Can he worship? Sit down here and worship. In fact, sometimes the elder board conducts its uh, forums in the adult wing when they, uh, particularly the middle schoolers, use the other side of the wall and they sing, and you couldn't have a meeting because it was noisy. So that was going on here at the church too, at the temple too. That people, not only were victims of these corrupt and dishonest practices, but they, 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 I mean, the commotion made it difficult for them to worship at the temple. And the temple had become a commercial venue, a commercial enterprise. Than a place of worship. It was no longer recognizable. That's why Jesus says. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it into a den of robbers. Let me ask you this. Can't something like this happen today? In churches? the church is steer far away from its intended purpose and become like a commercial enterprise than a place of worship i'm not going to mention names here but i'm going to give you an example you might recognize this you know a pastor holding a beautiful sparrow and saying, this is a beautiful sparrow made with fine china. It would look beautiful in your home. More importantly, every time you look at it, it will remind you that God's eyes are on you. Just as the Bible says, That God's eyes are on the sparrow. With your gift of hundred dollars a month or a one time gift of twelve hundred, you will receive this beautiful sparrow. We will ship it to you right away. You will have for the holidays. With your gift, if you're able to do more and become a platinum sparrow partner. With a gift of $200 a month or a one time gift of $2,400, we will inscribe your name on the sparrow and make it personal for you. Have you heard that? Have you seen that? I mean, imagine I had to stand here every week. Oh, Pastor Jeremy has to stand here every week and do something like that to raise money. It is no longer a recognizable place of worship. That's the kind of sin. That's why, you know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So he had to go to where the sinners were and not to the seat of the government. He had to go to the temple where people said to themselves that they are God's people, but they are ingrained in sin. And not to the Roman military that was standing outside of the temple and guarding the ferry. Furthermore, it used to be the merchants and money changers did their business outside of the temple. In fact, I have a picture of the temple. My... Picture of the temple. There are many different courts here. I can show you some of them. You know, there's the holies of holies here. And there's a court of the priest. And men kind of stood there. There's a women's courtyard and all of those. So they're kind of sectioned off. And what has happened is, these merchants used to be outside of the temple. That's where they did their business. Now they had moved into this Gentile courtyard. Gentile courtyard was the outermost one. Jewish people were on the inside. In fact, one commentary that I read said, it was the chief priest Caiaphas, who was the chief priest at the time of Jesus, was the one who brought these merchants and money changers into the Gentile courtyard, into the temple precincts. You know why? Because he was charging a sort of a temple tax, a little bit more money to run the temple. In fact, the, 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 the commentary goes on to ask, you know, uh, after all, how would Caiaphas pay for the temple without such business? But do you know what that has done? It had moved the Gentiles. Out of the temple. In fact. When when Jesus quotes this. This this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 56 verse 7. Matthew did not quote the whole thing. it, it It goes like this. My house shall be called a house of prayer. For all nations. Emphasis on all nations. But you have made it. A den of robbers. Suddenly the Gentiles have been pushed out. If you are if you are unless you are of a Jewish descent, we are all Gentiles. And we have been pushed out from the temple precincts when it became a commercial venue. Do you think that something like that can happen in our day-to-day? That we may push people out of our churches. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Regardless, they were pushed out. Do you think that can happen? Because when church, churches pushes people out, they are steering away from its God-intended purposes let me give you a few examples there are are a lot more that we could say but let me give you a few more examples when the mainline churches turned liberal it pushed away conservative believers right Once upon a time, these mainline churches were great in proclaiming the gospel and calling people for repentance. Churches push people away when minor doctrinal issues suddenly become major ones. That's why, by the way, I like our denomination, the EFCA, Evangelical Free Church of America, because it calls on its churches to truly focus on the essential majors and steer away from disputes about non-essential minors. In fact, here at Midland Free, we believe that so much that we have put this in our constitution. Which says, in essential doctrines, a church shall exhibit unity and allow no room for more than one view. In non-essentials, the areas in which the EFCA has permitted more than one position or chosen not to take an official position, the church shall exhibit charity and not use such minor doctrinal issues as a test for membership and full participation. In essentials unity, in non-essentials charity... And in all things, Jesus Christ is the slogan of the EFCA. So Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, that is of no doubt. Because he carefully planned and choreographed that event to present himself as the promised, long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people. But he came to deal with sin... And not anything else. Second. Jesus Israel's promised Messiah. By dealing with sin restores people. Back to God. And please look with me to verses 14 through 16. It reads. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have we never heard? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. You see, whereas the previous sin, one of the sins that was confronted was pushing people out, this one is about inviting people in. So let's look at this. For example, the Old Testament did prohibit people with blemishes such as these, you know, the lame and the blind, from serving as priests in the temple and entering the holies of holies. That was the Old Testament prohibition at the time described in Leviticus chapter 21. But over time, the teachers of the law have taken this a step further and forbidden such people from even entering the temple. It was a misapplication, misinterpretation of the text. That's why, for example, in the book of Acts chapter 3, We find a man lame from birth sitting outside of the temple gate and begging as the apostle Peter and John went to the temple to pray. God never forbade that. God wanted priests. They they didn't want them as priests, but God never forbade them from entering the temple. So what did Apostle Peter and John do to this blind man, this lame man? He basically said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them for the very first time, praising God. How did the Apostle Peter, apostles Peter and John get this idea? That they needed to invite this lame, uh, heal this lame man and invite him into the temple? Because of what Jesus did right here on first Palm Sunday. But as the Bible says in the first Palm Sunday that he, the lame and the blind came to him and he healed them. So that's our responsibility, you know. That we need to do the same thing. We need to invite people in. Disabled, not disabled. It doesn't matter. We need to invite them in. And then there's another one here too. And, and Jesus did the same thing with the children. Who were given no voice in the culture. Children had no voice in that culture. So did the women at the time. But what did Jesus do? He recognizes that they were speaking God's truth. Hosanna to the king of David. The messianic title. And affirms what they are saying. And he does that over against the objections of the chief priests and the scribes. It says they were indignant, angry, flabbergasted. Didn't matter to Jesus. So, how do we invite people in? Do we unintentionally, inadvertently... Not invite people in, something to think about. I came up with a few things for us to think about. Let's face it: As sinful people, we are clickish. Would you agree? I am clickish. You are clickish. We like to move with the people who are like us, who think like us, who look like us. Older people get together with the older people. Younger people get together with the younger people. We are cliquish. And as a result, what do we do? We fail to invite other people in. It would be a tragedy that people come to our church and nobody befriended them. And after coming for a month or two or six months or whatever, then they say to ourselves, I don't belong here. Nobody talks to me. Nobody has invited me into their fellowship. That's another aspect that Jesus confronted on the very first Palm Sunday. So what do we do with this message? That Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. That he came to into this world to deal with sin and restore people back to God. And the message is, that needs to be our mission. Bring, help people to deal with their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ so that they may also enjoy the fellowship that we have with christ jesus so you know there one of the commentaries that i did said that oh boy there's always because sinful as we are myself included there's always this tension or t- temptation to steer far and far and far away from God's intended purpose for our own lives and also for the life of our churches. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus is calling us to be very careful about that. That we, with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, would stay the course repenting of our own sins, repenting of our church's sin collectively so that we could fulfill God's intended purposes in our lives and also in the life of the church. That's what Jesus, the promised Messiah, calls us to do. I hope we can do that in days, months, and years to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We were helpless. We were dead in our transgressions and our sins. But thank you for taking the initiative to restore us back to you And help us to do that with others as well. Individually as well as collectively. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.